Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast as we continue in our series, 29, the book of Acts. Here's a question I would pose to you to think about as we start. All right, so growing up, who were your heroes? And even today, who do you look at as possibly being a hero in your life? Think about it. Who is your hero today? The great theologian Willie Nelson said, my heroes have always been cowboys. And for some of us, we like cowboys. But the truth is, who's your heroes? A hero, a true hero is a person who inspires us to do more and be more than we are. That's the true definition of a hero. It'd be a Mother's Day. My mom is a hero of mine. My mom has always been there. Uh, we were down in Noonan this week. I knew I couldn't be there today. But uh, we went down, had lunch with mom on Tuesday, spent a, a great part of the, the day with my mom. I knew this was going to be the first Mother's Day for her without my dad being around. And we just wanted to go love on mom. And I'm like, my mom has always been one of my heroes. My wife, I've got an incredible wife. Uh, we've been married 32 years almost. And I can tell you, that is a godly woman. And our kids are blessed to have her. And I, I just see the kind of friend she is. And I'm like, ah. Man, there, there's some good women in my life. And Jeff, you think the same about Jamie. And I mean, I, I think about my buddy Neil, and I'm like, I love his wife, Lee. I mean, th those kids, you guys have a great mom. Uh, I mean, there's some great women that I look at, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and it's so cool. Like, Elaine, you and the girls are going to get away for a few days and just spend some time. And I'm like, there's some, there's some heroes that we have here that if you will stop and pay attention to. When you dive into the book of Acts, and now we're into chapter 4, we get introduced to what I think to be the first Christian heroes in the Scripture. And it's kind of interesting when you start to look at these first heroes because they didn't start out as heroes. And if you look at a guy by the name of Peter, I mean, he was brash and he was timid and he was scared and he, he ran his mouth a lot and he, he was constantly wanting to brawl. He was all over the map and all of a sudden he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he falls in love with the gospel and he becomes a hero. You, you go back and study Scripture, and you're like, man, this is one of the first Christian heroes right here. But he, he, didn't, he didn't start out that way. And, and maybe you walk in here today and you go, man, the first quarter of my life, I royally jacked it up. Maybe even the first two quarters of your life, you start to look at where you're coming from. And maybe you were a hellraiser and you did a lot of corrupt, foolish things. And you go, man, I, I, I've missed the mark. It's not too late to change. God can do a work in you. I, I see my friends sitting in here this morning, and some have been changed in the last three years and the last five years. And, Richard, we look at it, and we go, man, Big T, it's not too late, brother. As long as you got a breath, man, you got a chance. And, and you go, man, I was a zero the first two quarters. But there, you, you could be transformed and used by God to be something. And, 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 and you might be somebody's hero. Somebody might look up to you. God might use you to introduce somebody to the gospel and disciple them. And for a lot of people in the Bible belt, the bondage belt, the cultural belt of the South, you grew up going to church, but the gospel hasn't impacted you. You went through the motions. You kind of bought your time going. Maybe it was out of obligation to your parents or whatever, and you go because 
it's the expected, but you haven't been changed by the gospel, and you know it, and, and it's not too late. It's not too late to say I'm a poser, and I've been pretending for too long. It's not too late to repent. That's the story of a lot of people in the South. Uh, you, you thought you were good, but you were never godly, and your allegiance was never to Jesus. You, you can grow up in the church and never grow up in Christ, and I've seen that a lot. You know what I'm saying? Now, here at the cross, we believe your story matters, and we believe this is probably crazy and whack for some of you, but we really do believe that saved people can impact their world. And we just believe that God wants to use people like you and me to change the world in which they live, to be difference makers. And, and we believe that you can't share your story with everybody, but you can be salt and light, and you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody. And to somebody, years later, they may look back going, you know, that dude Spencer, because of his obedience to the Lord to step into leading that radical mentoring group with Chad, that dude became one of my heroes, man. God used him to influence me and change me. The dude that had the initial greatest influence on my life was an old dude that smoked a lot of dope and dropped a lot of acid and hallucinated a lot and tripped out in the world a lot before he met Jesus. And when Walter met Jesus, Walter got radically transformed. And I look back and my old boy, he'll sit there and you might be watching today because he watches a lot of our messages online and he's got some dementia and sometimes you don't know what time it is. But I'm going to tell you that dude was used by God to influence me. He's one of my heroes. And he didn't start out as a hero, but he fell in love with the gospel. Now, now heroes are interesting because a few weeks ago, Rick did a tremendous job contrasting, if you will, celebrity and saint. I want to contrast briefly celebrity and hero because in our culture, Oftentimes, I think we elevate the wrong things, and there's a lot of confusion about it. Let me give you some contrast here. Celebrities look good for others to watch. Heroes do good and can care less if anyone watches. Celebrities focus on appearance and talent and the stage. Heroes focus on learning and being faithful and adding value. Celebrities act like they're better than the rest of us. And heroes inspire us to do something even though we might not be the best at it. Celebrities entertain for the purpose of pleasure. Heroes remind us that there's more to life than pleasure. When you start to look at and contrast heroes, and you look at these uh, heroes that are going to appear here in Acts chapter 4, it's amazing. We admire heroes because they have integrity and character. Celebrities are admired because they have beauty and talent for the most part. They love the camera. Watch a celebrity. Heroes persevere through suffering, and we go, I respect that where celebrities oftentimes are coming out of dysfunction and for some twisted uh, way, we're amused by it. You ever notice that with all the dysfunction with some of these so-called celebrities? Heroes don't look for status. They don't look for recognition. They don't look for compensation. Uh, they, they serve others. They admit their faults. They know that on their good day, they're nothing without the grace of God. You, you see, for me, when I say the word hero, I'm talking about a person that's had spiritual impact and influence on my life 
that's made me want to be more and do more and to become what God wants me to be for his glory. You got those people? And, and so if you do and you've been touched by and, and, and transformed by some of those, you might want to write them a note today for God using them and their obedience to have such a, a, such a touch in your life. Acts 4, these are some humble heroes, and they, uh, they were not flashy. A lot of what they did was behind the scenes. But how they responded to threat and persecution and difficulty, we sit there and we go, that, that, that's pretty admirable right there. Even in the face of danger, and they found themselves in the face of danger, when you look at Peter and John, what was their response when they faced attack and pain and difficulty and opposition? You know what they did? They just prayed and they just praised. They prayed and pressed into God and they continued to praise God, no matter whether they were on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether they were being applauded and embraced and thousands are being saved or they're being persecuted because of the boldness and the proclamation of the gospel. You know what they did? They prayed and they praised. When you're going through difficult times and painful times and disruption comes your way, what's your go-to? What, what do you normally do? And, 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 and oftentimes we're exposed in the midst of difficulty on where our true allegiance lies. And, and I'm sure that a lot of times, like if you're like me, all of a sudden you're facing difficulty and attack, something's happened, and all of a sudden I, I start praying for God to remove the pain and deliver me from the difficulty. Oftentimes my first go-to is not to pray for more courage and boldness. I'm like, Uncle, I've had enough, God. If, if you could let up on me right now, I would really appreciate this. Whew, I've had enough of this for a while. But I read this, and I'm like, what did y'all do? Oh, we just prayed. We just praised God. We praised God that we were considered worthy to suffer for his name's sake. That's not always my first go-to, Dustin. I mean, you're getting your lunch handed to you, and you just stop, and you go, praise the Lord. I'm identifying with Jesus. But that appears to be what they did. And I do think that the more that we're walking in the Spirit, kind of the instinct, if you will, and the go-to for us will be prayer and praise. If I'm really pressed in and walking in the Spirit, that's where I'm going to go because I've come to realize my dependence is on the Lord. And as John would say, and, and, and we read in John 15, apart from God, I can do nothing. And I think God allows us to be reminded at times that we can't do nothing apart from him. That, hey, you know you need me. I think if, if we're wise and even as we pause to contemplate again this day, as we look at marriage, as we look at parenting, as we look at even ministry, I can't do it on my own. If you think you can make your marriage work just by your own flesh patterns and your own strategies, i got bad news for you. It's not going to work. If you think that you can be a good parent by just doing it on your own and that you know how to make this work, man, you got a lot of heartache and headache there. 
I can't do anything. I think the Lord oftentimes throughout days, every day, just says, Cash, do you realize you really need me 24-7, 365, that apart from me, you can do nothing? And the only way you're going to continue to seek me is you're going to have to stay desperate and dependent. And, and, and I think oftentimes desperation is such a beautiful place for all of us to be. Because God has a way in of just rocking our strategies and solutions and saying, all right, big boy, how'd that work for you? You went back, you reverted back to you, and, and it's like, ah. And I would tell you, and I've seen this over the years, if you're struggling with your prayer life, and I've had people tell me that over the years, and I'm just really struggling with my prayer life, I would tell you it's because somewhere along the way you've reached the conclusion that you do not need to be dependent on the Lord and that you can handle things on your own. Your prayer life sucks when you trust you, not when you're trusting him. When you're trusting him, you're going to pray more. Does somebody hear that? And if we're not careful, we get exposed. People go, I'm just struggling with my prayer life. Then where? And I've looked at my own life. Where's my dependence? Where's my allegiance? What am I leaning into and pressing into? It's something I wrote out. I was, I was thinking about this going as far back as I can in my, like, God journey. This, this was for me. I wrote down, like, remember how lost you were without the Lord? I'm like, yes! Do you remember how messed up and foolish and corrupt you were living apart from the Lord? I still remember that. I never want to forget how lost I was when I tried to do things on my own. What was the next step? Uh, do you remember when you first realized how powerful the gospel was and it was made available to you? Yes, I do. What did you do when you realized how lost you were and how powerful the gospel was? I prayed. Did you know how to pray? Did you have any courses in prayer? Did you have anybody mentoring you on how to do it? No. When you realized how lost you were and you were on your way to hell and how powerful the gospel was and how much grace and kindness and mercy God was offering, what did you do, Cash? I prayed. Well, that's when you prayed. Do you realize that the gospel is as good today as it was the day it plucked you out of hell? Then pray. When, when do you pray? I, I pray when I realize how desperate I am even now for the Holy Spirit to be totally active in my life. When do you pray? I pray that when I, I realize that the God of all grace and mercy and the God of all helps invites me Listen to this. The God of all mercy, grace, salvation, and forgiveness invites me to meet with him. I pray that God invites me to hang with him. What's the response? I'm praying. Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm blown away that you would love somebody like me, that you would forgive somebody like me. And when you read about the early church, the early church, the secret to the early church was they prayed. <laughs> That's what they did. Acts 4, 24. All the believers, 
all lifted their voices together in prayer, seeking God, talking to God. Listen to what they were saying, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through David, your servant, and you said, why were the nations so angry, and why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. Herod and Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel they were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, bonus. <laughs> Read it. They were being attacked. They were being persecuted. They were experiencing pain, if you will. And what did they do? They prayed for more boldness and for deeper faith. I, I wonder if we really believed that God was more concerned in saving our neighbor than he was providing comfort and convenience to us, how that would change our prayer life. If we really believed that even in the midst of suffering and attack and persecution, that God really was using that to spread the gospel, I wonder what that would do to our prayer life. Because I think a lot of times we pray as if God is more concerned with my comfort and my convenience than he is anything. We, we treat God that way sometimes. Oh, I'm, I'm going to cry out to the Lord because he's my bailout plan and I mean, he exists as a, as a cosmic Santa that I can just sit on his knee and tell him what I want, and he's going to hook a brother up, man. He don't want me hurting this way. And it's, it's oftentimes that it's in the midst of that pain and suffering and heartache that God goes, I got you right where I want you. I'm going to strip you down. So when you study this text, let me give you five key truths. I'm going to spend the majority of my time in this first one. God is sovereign. And desires to redeem your pain for his glory. God is sovereign. Verses 27 28, sovereign Lord. Even Peter and John and these guys are looking and they're quoting this stuff. I'll get to it in a second. But they're like, they, they gathered together against your holy servant Jesus to do whatever your plan had predetermined, predestined to take place. Paraphrasing. Hey, God. All this stuff that happened to Jesus happened because you wanted it to. All of this stuff that we've seen go down here in Jerusalem over the last four months has gone down because you wanted it to. And their conclusion is, we know, we know that everything is under your control, God. And you have purpose to use all these things, whether it be good or bad, to further your plan. Even though this is overwhelming to us, we're going to trust that this is your plan. Bam, stop, 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 stop. In your own life today, stop. What if our first thought when trouble hit was, God, you are sovereign. You are in control. 
And what I'm going through right now is being used by you for your glory to promote the furtherance and the advancement of your kingdom and the gospel. Wonder what that would do to our mindset. If that was our perspective, instead of woe is me calling everybody else and griping and complaining, what if we stopped and said, well, you know what? God is allowing this to happen to advance his kingdom. I memorized this verse shortly after I got saved. Psalm 4610. Okay? A lot of people have memorized this verse. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I'm God. We love that verse. We highlight it. We circle it. It means to cease striving. And it means that let God show you that God can be God. Do you know what the next part of that verse says? Be still. Cease striving. And know that I am God. The next sentence reads, I will be exalted among the nations. Oh, be still. I used to put the emphasis on me. Cash, you need to chill. You, you, you need to back off and quit trying so hard. The emphasis is not on me being still. The emphasis is on God's sovereignty. He will be exalted among the nations. I'm God. I will share my glory with nobody else. I'm a jealous God. So, so, so let's just say that this is true. So the next time we're facing pain, difficulty, sorrow, heartache, or whatever, what about if we stopped and, we, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe you could own this. Maybe you stopped and said, God, you are in full control. You will exalt your name in all the nations. And this problem that I'm experiencing right now will be leveraged and used for your glory. How would it change you? How would it change your perspective? How would it change your attitude? If you saw everything in your life as being ordered, ordained, allowed by God, how would it change your perspective? That's where they were at. You're sovereign. Oh, Lord, oh, this is going down. It's going down because you wanted it to. Oh, you lose your job. Or your health starts failing. Or you've got relational conflict. Just what if we stopped and go, okay, God, this difficulty, this disability, this disease, whatever I'm going through right now, this setback, you have allowed this. Maybe I even go so far out to go. You have ordained this. I'm better using that word allowed, but I'm probably more accurate using that word ordained. (laughs) Because <laughs> when we, we get in this, Jeff, some people will say, well, do you think God, God predestined that or God just allowed it? I go, yes, he did. <laughs> well, which one? He's God and he will be exalted among the nations. He is God. He is sovereign. God, you've allowed this to take place for your glory. Now, 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 just hear me on the perspective here of the sovereignty of God. Just, just entertain me for a second. If we could get to the place where we believed, Michael, that the difficulty and the setback or whatever 
was ordained by God and was a gift from God to be used to leverage his purpose and his plan and his kingdom. Don't you think we could also get to the place, Ray, where we get here to say the money and the talents and the gifting that I've got was given by God to be used to leverage for his name's sake? Then we would look at no matter what came our way as being given by God. Because it's easy for us to say every good and perfect gift comes from above. But why would David write, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your ways? Most people, especially in this, this culture that we find ourselves living in, you give us two lines. You give us the line of comfort and convenience, and you give us the line of suffering over here it says conforming you into the likeness of Christ and over here it says conforming you into the likeness of the world. You give most people the option of which line you'll stand in and we run toward comfort and convenience. And these cats right here said God is God. Okay, stop. Bow with me right now. Every person in this room, you're watching online, I want you to to join me in this. I want you to stop and I want you to pray. And I want you in your own words to declare to God, God, you are sovereign, which means God, you are in full control, which implies God's not sleeping, God's not taking a day off. God is fully aware, He's God, sovereign, in charge. Whatever you're going through, fill in the blank. Tell Him, Lord, You've allowed this to happen, whatever this is. And you're going to use this, whatever you're going through this week, over the last few weeks. Fill, it, fill in the mind. You've allowed this to happen for your glory. You, you've allowed this even to happen for my benefit that I would be more conformed into the likeness of Christ. Just stop. Are you there? Tell him, God, I really do believe you turn tragedies into triumphs. I, I, I believe you use hard stuff and difficult stuff for your glory. Tell him, my difficulties are under your dominion. You, you are your authority, your ruler. In your own words, whatever you're going through, just say, God, help me see how you're going to use this for your glory. And, and just tell the Lord, Lord, I need boldness and courage only that can come from you to point other people to you in the midst of my pain. God, whatever I'm going through, I want to point people to you. I want to trust you. And then I want to tell people, here's where my strength comes from. Father, I pray over this body of believers right now and over this body of, of some of these people in here, Father, are not believers. But I want you to, Lord, I want you to confirm through the working of the Holy Spirit that you're sovereign and you will redeem all things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Now, now that's the first point. As I study this, it's God's sovereign and he's going to redeem whatever you're going through for his glory. 
I'm not going to spend much time on these others, but dive into it, if you will. The point number two I would make is this. You've got to know the Scripture. When these guys begin to pray, right here in this text, they quote Psalm uh, chapter 2. And, and they're like, oh, Lord, you made the heaven and the earth to see. They lay all this stuff out. They knew how to pray. They quoted the word. One of the greatest things that we can learn to do is to tell God what God has already said to let God know we know who you are and what you've already de decreed and declared. Eugene Peterson said, true prayer is not just talking to God. It's answering God. God has already spoken collectively in his word. Prayer is just a response to what he said. Do you realize that in the scripture, there's over 3,000 promises that God's given us? Do you know that you can stop and go, all right, God, I agree with you that I am a saint. I am holy. I am righteous. I am justified. I am your child. Start telling God what God has already declared over you. One of the things that would disarm the enemy and the, the presence of the evil uh, coming against you is standing there and claiming God's promises in the midst of whatever pain and trial you're going through. 3,000 promises. And, and, and I'm not into this name it, claim it, blab it, grab it theology that we see today. I'm talking about if God names it, then you can claim it. They knew the scripture. And so I think a lot of times when we're praying, we, we don't know God's word. Well, God, you've already told me that no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. That's right. You've already told me that by your stripes I'm healed. You've already quote it. Just tell God, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm in tune with you. And when you're doing that, all you're saying is, yes, yes, I'm in agreement with you. Yes, your word has final authority. Third point, our admiration, adoration, and allegiance must be to Jesus only. Must be to Jesus. Peter was absolutely convinced that Jesus was worthy of all adoration, praise, you name it. Even later in Acts chapter 5, I, I was pondering this. He stands up before the rulers and says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. God exalted him. And, and here's the words I want to play on. God has exalted him as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. The word leader is a very interesting word that Peter would use. Jesus is my leader. Archagos is the word in the Greek. Archagos was used by the Greeks in, in, in many ways. They would use it as they applauded their champion or their captain or their hero. They would use that word uh, in regards to these powerful figures of their day. The word Archagos was used toward their ultimate hero, Hercules. He's our Archagos. He's our champion, our hero. And it was elevating and highlighting, look how powerful our leader is. And Peter writes, oh, look at how powerful my leader and savior is. Not because he would destroy his enemies, but because he would give his life to save his enemies. I want to tell you about my Archagos, my leader, my hero, my champion. 
And I'm reading through this going, that's our champion. When you guys leave tomorrow, Ronnie, when you and Jenna leave tomorrow and you're heading over to Brussels, you're going to have the opportunity to share with people about your leader and Savior, about the archigos who would die a criminal's death and be raised on the third day. You look and you go, that's who we get to share. And Peter has concluded, if that archigos, Jesus, our leader, hero, champion, if he would be willing to risk his life and to die a criminal's death to save other people, then we must be willing to risk our life, lay it on the line so that other people can hear the gospel. Did you hear me? You got to be willing to lay it out there. Go share with them. They're going to think I'm weird. Great. I would rather a person think I'm weird, listen to me, reason with me, the Holy Spirit convict them and then come to faith, and then for somebody just to think I'm weird for me to ignore them and them spend eternity in hell. The gospel to those who are perishing is foolishness. I would say that's weird. Are you willing to lay it on the line and sacrifice it for the kingdom? Another thing, and I'll spend more time in this next week. Another thing we strike, Madison, in this text, baby, is this. A generous spirit is the norm for a follower of Jesus. The norm for a follower of Jesus is living a generous life. Generosity is the greatest apologetic we have in sharing the gospel. When you look at verses 32 through 35, read it. For the sake of time, I'm not going to dive into all of it. The whole congregation of the believers was united. They were one, one heart, one mind. They didn't claim ownership. Hey, that's my car. That's my house. That's my stuff. They didn't do that. They even sold it, brought it, they distributed it. I'm reading this going, you cannot be in touch with the gospel without becoming radically generous. If you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will live a life of generosity. You will love, you will serve, you will give. I personally believe that believing, pistis, persuaded to action is the word there in the Greek. Being persuaded to action that the gospel is true will lead you to living a life of, of being generous and bold. When you start to study this, and this is good for Bible students, if you will. Generosity comes from the cross. For God so loved that he gave. The cross screams generosity. The resurrection screams boldness. That Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave and has offered salvation to all. So when you look at the cross, it screams, I'm generous. Now you go be generous. And when you look at the resurrection, it declares, I have kicked death's tail once and for all. You can go be bold now because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Somebody, come on. The gospel, believing the gospel is going to lead you to generosity and boldness. 
Don't grow weary in doing good. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Keep sharing your story. Last point. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we mentioned last week, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit one time, but you continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. We need to be influenced and controlled with the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? It's almost like every morning throughout the day, stopping, repenting, confessing, yielding, just pressing in, saying, Lord, I need your strength, your mind, your power right now. Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit throughout the day? Yes. Are you going to leak at times? Yes. Are you going to possibly flesh out here or there? Yes. But can you stop and go, you know what, that wasn't of the Lord. Lord, I just jacked that up right there. I spoke, and uh, you didn't give me permission to speak. And, and I need your guidance right now. And when we start to live like dependent on the Lord, you'll hear the Holy Spirit go, that's out of bounds, stop that. And you're quick to repent going, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And you're right. But you don't live in guilt, and you don't live in condemnation. You're living in this freedom of walk with the Lord. And you hear the Lord say that to you, Richard, like, hey, hey, dude, stay away from that. I'm not asking you to participate in that one right there. And you stop and you go, wow, that's not of the Lord. And I hear the Lord saying that. Like like there's things that happen. People go, hey, I I need your help. And I'm like, God is not telling me to do that one right there. Other people's ideas do not become my assignment just because they've got an idea. I'm like, hold on, let me pray about this one. And we get ourselves into all kinds of messes and trouble at times because somebody will come to us with some passionate idea to go, let me tell you what I think we ought to do. And you listen to it and you go, okay, I'll do it because we want to accommodate and we want to show ourselves to be compassionate. And God goes, you over here, man, you know, got knee deep in this stuff. You're all frustrated. You're pissed at the world. And now you're over here wondering, where am I? Where am I? I told you not to do that in the first place and you dove in without listening to me. I've been there. I got over here in an assignment that God didn't even ask me to get in because I wanted to be a hero. I wouldn't be no hero. Five things that gave them courage. Five things that led them to boldness. They believed in the sovereignty of God. God, you're in control. They had knowledge of the scripture. Again, please hear me. If you took this one thread out of my garment, it unravels. It is Scripture, the Word of God, that has been so crucial in my journey. And admiration, adoration, and allegiance to Jesus only, not religion, nothing else. They had a generous spirit. They lived a life of generosity. And frequently, they were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, when we read it, it goes, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Lean in. Press in. Come on. Let's experience the goodness of God today.